0: Well, good morning, church family. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We can say Merry Christmas today, right? It's a day early, but that's that's okay. We're still we're we're in the season, uh, but but truly, uh, it's a joy to have all of you here this morning uh, to be worshiping with you. I see friends and guests joining us as well. We're so glad you're here on this very special day, and uh, I want to begin this morning by a- asking a question. Um, I got this question from. Uh, some of the men who like going to trivia, uh, once a month. Now, I was not able to join this past month, but I heard from them that the, the final bonus round question uh, of the night was, was this. What is the highest uh, gross, grossing opening weekend for a movie of all time? At the box office. And now, if you, now, now not counting for inflation, this is, this is of all time. Now, you can't answer this if you're there, but does anybody want to guess? Does anybody know? Star Not Star Wars? War. Close. Not Infinity War, but Avengers Endgame is the correct answer. The 2019 film. Now, uh, this, is, this is a great story. It was a, the culmination of a 22-film Marvel superhero series that spanned over a decade. And so people flocked out to see this movie. I, I've seen it. It's a good movie. Uh, and I, I would think that even if you hadn't seen the other films, the movie could stand on its own. It's got a lot of action, a lot of CGI. You know, it's got some drama. It's got some humor, of course. It's a pretty good movie. But I would imagine if you hadn't seen other films, you might be wondering, how did we get to here? Especially with a movie that's called Endgame. Right? Like, how, how are we at the culmination of this story? And where did all these interesting characters and their powers come from? And that's usually what superhero movies are, right? It's this film that tells often the origin story. You know, Spider-Man getting bit by the spider. This is, this is how this person became different than everybody else. We humans, we have a deep need for these types of origin stories. Especially for unique and incredible figures of human history, kings and leaders and celebrities and so forth. Where did they come from? Where did they grow up? How did they become the famous person they are today? How did Taylor Swift get her skills at guitar playing and singing? Was she always that good? I mean, we wonder about these things, right? Most of Jesus' disciples and the crowds that followed him, they heard his incredible teaching. They saw his amazing miracles, but they didn't know his origin story. They didn't know where he came from. They saw him arrive on the scene, but they didn't know where he came from. And most scholars believe on strong evidence, I think this is pretty clear, that the the gospel of Mark was likely the first account of Jesus' life written down. And interestingly, it doesn't contain anything about the birth of Jesus. So if you're one of the first Christians reading the first story written about Jesus, you still don't know where he came from. You don't have the Christmas story. You don't have these stories that we've been celebrating and singing about and, and watching movies about. They didn't have that right away. But doesn't it make sense that people eventually got curious? People started wondering, where did he come from? Where where did this man come from? How did this all get started? In fact, one of Jesus's early disciples was a doctor named Luke. And he wanted to investigate. He wanted to write an orderly account of these things, and it says here in Luke that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated Everything, notice, from the beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. People wanted to know, is this all true? How did this all get started? we got to go back to the beginning to figure this out. We need to go back to the origin story. Now, most of the events about Jesus' birth and early life, they were known only to Joseph and Mary perhaps a few family that they might have told. But Joseph isn't around in Jesus' adult life. It's presumed that he died along the way, uh, and by the time he was publicly ministering, Mary is a widow. And so after the resurrection, as the church is getting started, uh, Mary is around, and she's the only one who has the information about how this all came to be. And so Luke describes these events uh, that we're speaking of, but then he goes on to write this later. It says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. How does Luke know what Mary was pondering in her heart at that time? This is something only Mary could tell someone. And I think it's very likely, based on the evidence that we have, that Luke got this directly from Mary. Because remember in the Gospel of John, we learn that Jesus has Mary go live in the home of the Apostle John, who was one of the the pillars of the early church. And we remember also from the book of Acts that Mary was there, that she was a disciple of Jesus, that she was there when the Holy Spirit came. And so Mary was, was around the early movement of Jesus, And how natural would it have been for any of us who were there to want to go ask her, please tell me, how did this get started? What was he like? What happened? Was there anything unusual about his birth? Oh, let me tell you. (laughs) Let me tell you. Mary tells us of Jesus' origin story, the story of Christmas. And we learn that an angel came to her to announce the incredible birth of someone who would be called the Son of God. The king over God's people. The problem was, as we know, she was engaged to a man named Joseph. She's not married yet, and she's still a virgin. So naturally, she asked how this could be possible. The angel says, The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Now, if you're just joining us this morning, you're a guest with us, uh, we've been in a sermon series called Ancient Paths. We're going through the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. The Creed being the basic summary of the Christian faith, what Christians believe. And so far, we have said that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And now we come to the part of the Creed that gives us Jesus' origin story. The Creed says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This phrase are two sides of the same coin. It means he is God and he is man. Conceived by the Holy Spirit is something only God can do. Being born of a woman is something a human does. So this part of the creed is telling us that Jesus' ultimate origin is in God, that he's from God. He came into this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we said that he is God's divine, eternal son, always existing, equal with God, sharing God's very nature. Conceived by the Holy Spirit is meant to tell us he came down from heaven. He was different. He came by God's power. His incarnation was not a human creation, but by the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember in the first creation story, God's Spirit was hovering over the waters, right? Bringing life to all that we see. And in the same way, God's Spirit hovers over Mary, bringing life in the womb. Now, for some reason, I, this, this miracle can strike us as uh, perhaps too incredible or even quite strange. But consider as Christians, we've already first said, I believe in God. I mean, if you stopped right there, That solves everything else. We believe in God, a divine being who is the Father Almighty. He's good, he's powerful, and he's the maker of heaven and earth, of all that you see and all you don't see, right? And if we believe that God can create all these things, this universe in which we live, your very life itself, is it really that hard to believe that he can bring life into Mary's womb? We believe in God. We believe God made the first human, the first Adam, right, out of the dust of the ground. Can we not believe that God makes Adam 2.0 or Adam 1.0 restored, if you will, in the womb of Mary, through Mary's body? This, this whole creed, friends, everything that we believe, all of Christianity tells us that we live in a world that is a miracle of God. You are a walking miracle. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're a living miracle. You're a living miracle. You you are a living miracle, living in a miraculous world created by a miraculous God. Every day you should wake up and say, wow, this is a miracle. I'm alive in this living world created by a living God. It's amazing. If God can do this, if God can make the world in our very selves, he can do this, what he did through Mary. But if we believe by faith what Mary has told us, what Luke has told us, what the early church has told us, that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, well, what does that mean? What does that mean and, and, and what does it matter for my life? Well, If you know the story of the Bible, we've heard stories like this before, right? There have been times in the story of humanity, the story of God's plan of redemption, that a unique birth happened. We think about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Isaac and Rebecca with Jacob and Esau, Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist. You see, when God needed to accomplish some of his plans to bring about our redemption, he brings a special person onto the stage of human history to accomplish his purposes. And so the birth of Jesus Christ is the birth par excellence. It is is the birth of all births. It is the most special person in, in human history. And by the way, he's not just the most special human, he is God becoming human for us. And this is why it had to be the most extraordinary birth of any birth ever. It had to be extraordinary like this for us to understand who Jesus Christ is. If Jesus Christ had come into the world exactly like we do, I don't think we would understand his divine nature and his divine origin. And on the other hand, if Jesus Christ had only come by the power of the Holy Spirit, say he just dropped out of the sky one day, then I don't think we would really understand that he was human just like us. I think this is... The way God did it is the way it needed to be done. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but born of the Virgin Mary. It's imperative that these two go together. He's conceived by the Spirit. He's God. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He's human, like us. He's the God-man come in flesh. Being born tells us that from Jesus' conception and birth, he chose to share in our complete humanity so that he could redeem every aspect of our human lives. From birth, to growing up, to adolescence, to adulthood, to dying. Jesus redeemed all of our human experience, and he became a real baby that cried, that kept his parents up at night. I mean, the wonder of this miracle, that the Father Almighty, the maker, my maker, the maker of heaven and earth, Became one of us? It's a miracle we can scarce take in. The church has said that when Jesus came, he retained both his divine and human natures. Without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. United into one person. You may have heard the language, he's uh, two natures but one person. He's He's God and man, but he's one person, Jesus Christ. And this is something that, like the rest of the creed, we believe by faith that this is true, that this happened once and for all. The Word of God became flesh and dwelled among us. It's a mystery, it's a miracle that we receive by faith. But again, the more interesting question is why? Why did this happen? Again, the church helps us. The Nicene Creed we mentioned last week, which is the further explanation of the Apostles' Creed, And it tells us that for us, for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He came for you. He came to redeem you. He came to save you. He came to save us. As Calvin stated, the sole purpose of Christ's incarnation was our redemption. Our redemption. You see, God made us in his image to be his image bearers on the earth. But a great enemy deceived us. Satan's power deceived us. We fell into sin, we fell into rebellion against God and now we are cut off from the life-giving presence of God and that's why we die. And we stand guilty before God and we, we need a Savior, we need a Redeemer to come help us. Uh, we are like two parties who need reconciliation and I'm going to bring my whiteboard out again this week. i got a lot of obstacles to maneuver around this time. Let's see if I can do it. Okay, I did it. How about a round of applause for me for for doing this? (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Okay. Make sure you guys can see this over here. Imagine two parties who are mired in conflict. A, person A or party A, cannot live in harmony with person B or party B. I'm sure you can imagine people in your own life, maybe your own life itself, where there is a conflict that cannot be resolved. And the only way for these people or parties to come together is the presence of a mediator. That, and that mediator needs to be someone who can understand fully Party A. And the, the mediator also needs to be someone who can understand and represent fully party B. But there's another layer to this story. Party B keeps on ending party a they say they say they're sorry but they never change they keep on doing the same behavior that is causing the rift in the relationship in the first place and friends do you know what reconciliation doesn't just require forgiveness you know that right it requires transformation that the only way for this relationship to be healed is if party b is going to change their ways not just say they're sorry but actually change who they are from the inside out so that this relationship can be And Mediator C is going to have to help them with that, right? And own that. You guys love Christmas movies? You guys been watching Christmas movies? I've been watching some Christmas movies. It's so good. And I I was just thinking about some of the most famous Christmas movies, obviously A Christmas Carol, which my favorite version is The Muppets, of course. Uh, Also, you think about Wonderful Life, I think about How the Grinch Stole Christmas. What do movies have in common? They're this story of a sinful, selfish character who needs to be redeemed and gets redeemed. They need to be transformed and they get transformed. See, they needed to go through a process of transformation. And, I, and friends, I want to tell you that the story of Christmas, it's not a fairy tale Christmas. These stories resonate because it's the true story of Christmas. That Jesus Christ came to redeem us, He came to save us and transform us from the inside out. In fact, I have this for you on the screen. Let's go to this verse here. It says there is one God, there is is also one mediator between God and humankind. Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all. Friends, the mediator that we need came for us and he did this. No, that did not work. That, That was supposed to be really dramatic and that failed. Let's see. There we go. He bridges the gap. You know, sometimes you see this bridge illustration and the parties are on equal ground, but my downward slope here is intentional. Christ Jesus, God himself, came down. He condescended to the lowest place. How, how great the chasm that was between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. And yet, he came down for me, for us, for our salvation so that we could be brought up to him, so that we could be brought into eternal life, to resurrected life, and also so that we could share in his divine nature. The early fathers used to say, God became human so humans could become like God. Why? Because that's what you were made for. You were made in God's image. You were meant to reflect his glory and his goodness. And he doesn't just want to forgive you, which is great, but he also wants to transform you, to bring you into God's life and his nature, and to redeem you totally. This is the good news of Christmas. Jesus has redeemed every curse for us. Anselm wrote this, As death entered through one man's disobedience, so life is restored through one man's obedience. As sin came through the temptation of a woman, so salvation came through one born of a woman. As the enemy conquered humanity by tasting of a tree, so Christ conquered the enemy by bearing suffering on a tree. This goes back to the the origin story of them all. That Christ redeems all of humanity, all the world by coming. And he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, so that he could save you and redeem you both now and forever. His birth was for the purpose of redemption, which we know led him to the cross. I mentioned last week that uh, the creed does not say much about the earthly life of Jesus. Um, I, I wish it said more. It assumes the presence of the Gospels. It kind of just gives Jesus' earthly life a comma. You know, he was born. But it's, it's amazing what the next phrase says, and you probably remember this. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered. Jesus' life, God in the flesh, was born into a life of suffering. In fact, you think about he was born in the manger. He was born into a poor family. He w- soon after, Herod, King Herod brings a threat on his life and he has to become a refugee fleeing with his family to Egypt. This was a life of suffering. And so in some ways, it's appropriate that the church left it the way it is. He was born, he suffered. That's his life. And why did he do it? For you. He was a man of suffering, well acquainted with suffering for your salvation. And so his life of suffering inevitably leads to the cross. This, the manger, leads us to the cross. These events of Christmas lead us to Good Friday and Easter. This is the event that begins it all. We know that this Savior was born to die so you could live. He was born to suffer so you could be redeemed. He was born to take on sin so yours could be forgiven. He was born a human so you could become like God. He was born by the power of the Holy Spirit so you could be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know how much he loves you? He loves you so much that he would do all this. And so friends, you don't have to struggle to find your way to acceptance, to find your way to love, to find your way to an identity, to find your way to God and who He is. God has already come to you. He has already sought you out before you were born. He wanted to save you, forgive you, and love you. That's who our God is. We lit the candle of love because the greatest gift of love was given to us. Express that Christmas morning. So friends, as we go through today and especially tomorrow, In the rest of this Christmas season, may you marvel at the wonder, the mystery, the miracle, the love of it all, all that we have in Christ Jesus. And may you know that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary for you, for your salvation.